all you have. You are now tuned in to Marcus Rays. You just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome, my intergalactic adventurers. I'm Kyle, your guide through the cosmos, and you are now tuned in to the most exciting Star Wars show in the galaxy, Star Wars Audio Archives. Real quick before we jump into the show, this season we'll have a giveaway, so make sure that you get those emails into us at sway.audio at gmail.com. Tell us what you think of the show, or tell us what you think of the story. Maybe you just want to say hi. It's up to you. The only other way you can enter the giveaway is to join the Sway family by becoming a supporter of this podcast. Okay, now let's get back to the show. Prepare yourself as we journey into the seventh part of Light of the Jedi, set in a luminous era of the High Republic. This episode takes us on a special voyage, a deep dive into the carnage of what is going on in the High Republic and the furthest reaches of the Outer Rim. Experience the problems appear on everything that it takes to build the Republic. Imagine the hum of a hovercraft, the chatter of alien languages, and the scenery calm of the Force as we explore this golden age. This is your chance to step into the High Republic and explore the galaxy like never before. So get ready to make your mark on the galaxy. The High Republic is waiting, and our adventure is about to take flight right now. The Mid-Rim, Naboo. Avar Chris leaned on the ornate carved stone railing and looked out across the lake to a small forested island rising to a low peak in its center. A small settlement of low, orange, shingled buildings crouched together by the lakeshore, but otherwise the island looked like pristine wilderness. Barakino, Elzar Man said, stepping up beside her. She glanced at him. He looked good, happy, his dark eyes shining, a grin lighting up his face, though that could be due to the drink in his hand, some green stuff in a stemless glass bowl. She didn't know what it was, but she knew Elzar, and so odds were it was the finest intoxicant their hosts had available. And considering their hosts, that meant it was probably very fine indeed. Very what? she asked. Very Kino, he said, gesturing with his drink toward the island. That's the name of the island. It's an artist's retreat. A place for creative outcasts to live together and think deep thoughts. There's a poet there, a man named Omar Barenko. Supposed to be brilliant. Elzar glanced at her. He ran a hand through his dark hair, cut short, with a natural wave to it. Sounds nice, actually, he said. We should remember it, once we're too old for the order to make use of us anymore. I wouldn't mind spending my days in quiet contemplation. Maybe figure out how to catch fish with the Force. He took a sip of his drink, and his face took on an impressed expression. Oh, as long as we lay in steady supply of this stuff, by the light that's good. Let me try, Avar said, and he handed her the bowl. She sipped the liquor, a spicy, soft taste that left her tongue tingling. Oof, no arguments here she said. That's delicious. But go easy. We're here to do a job. Elzar had one last swallow, then set the bull down on the railing. Shining golden servitor droid promptly scooped it up and quietly withdrew, hovering not far away in case the two Jedi required anything further. 
Are your owners on the way? Avar asked the droid. We've been waiting for some time. Of course, Master Jedi, the droid replied in a lovely chime of a voice. Masters Marlow and Bellis are completing some urgent business, but have notified me that they will be here momentarily. If you wish, you may take a seat while you wait. The droid gestured with one long, languid limb toward a seating area deeper in the lanai. Plush couches and seats with various refreshments laid out on a low quartz table. She assumed this was where Elzar had gotten his drink. So much wealth on display here. Just owning an estate in the Naboo Lake Country was out of reach for any but the richest families in the galaxy. Nonetheless, the feeling created by the decor was not one of ostentation, but of care and taste. The owners of this home were not trying to overawe. Every choice was made with an eye towards simplicity and integration with the natural environment, which, of course, was impressive in its own right. As if to underscore the point, a gentle breeze blew across the patio, rippling through the milliflowers, dangling from vines hanging from the arbors overhead. Their fragrance saturated Avar's senses, and the song of the course swelled with the beauty of it all. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. It was easy to forget they were there to continue the investigation into the ongoing galactic emergency. She forced herself to focus. Quiet contemplation could wait for retirement. And for a moment, just one, she let herself consider the idea of spending that time with Elzar Mann. Something she would never tell him. He would never let her hear the end of it. Another emergence... Another tragedy had happened in the ring light system, and several thousand people had died. Only the valiant efforts of the system's security squads had prevented something worse. Chancellor So had widened the hyperspace cordon once again. Senator Noar hadn't protested this action. The necessity was obvious. But the pressure was mounting to solve the mystery once and for all. This meeting today could be the key. As if they had read her mind, two men appeared at the edge of the patio and walked toward her and Elzar. Marlo and Velis, the scion of the Santeca Empire and his husband. Both were pale, with blonde hair and blue eyes. The similarities stopped there. Velis's face looked chopped from granite, while Marlo's features were softer. They did seem a pair, though, and like their home... Everything about them radiated wealth and comfort and ease. She wondered what Marlowe's ancestors would think of what the family had become. The Santeca family made its fortune a century or so ago as hyperspace prospectors, rough-edged people finding routes through the wild spaces of the galaxy, like planetary explorers searching for passes through deadly mountain ranges. Hyperspace prospecting was just as dangerous 
Many who tried it ended up lost forever, adrift in nothingness with no way to get home. The Samtukas seemed to have a knack for it, though, and consistently found the shortest, fastest ways to get from here to there in the galaxy. They sold those routes to traders, governments, and entrepreneurs, and in some cases set up hyperspace toll lanes where navigational data could be downloaded for a fee. All that revenue added up. These days, the Zantecas were among the wealthiest families in the galaxy, and their teams of prospectors, now called hyper-surveyors, to give the trade a sheen of respectability, continued to sniff out lucrative new paths between the stars. The galaxy was endless, and people would always want to traverse it more quickly and safely. Welcome to our home, Marlowe said, extending a hand to Avar. It is an honor to have Jedi guests. She took the hand and shook it briefly. Elzar did the same with Velis. Please, let's sit, Velis said, gesturing to the couch. The servant of Lloyd tells me you've already sampled the Atar of Spin Silk, one of my favorites as well. But there's much more you can try. Anything you like. Thank you, Avar said. The group sat, and Avar gently reached out with the Force to sense the emotional state of their hosts. They were utterly relaxed. Not that she expected anything else. A gorgeous lakeside patio with the love of your life at your side, and enough credits for a thousand lifetimes? Of course the Santecas were relaxed. Senator Noir told us you're investigating the dreadful disasters in the Outer Rim, Marlowe said, pouring a glass of something red and handing it to Bellis. I'm not sure what we can do to help, but of course we're more than happy. Is it as an old friend, and we know he has responsibility for the Outer Rim. Anything he needs, really. Not to mention all the people in the firing line, Elzar said. A slight edge to his voice. Of course, Bellis said. We're all the Republic. The emergencies are bad enough. And we're working on a system to predict where they're going to happen next, Avar said. Oh, really? That's interesting, Marlowe said. How is that possible? Hitzol Prime happened to have a genius system analyst in their technology ministry. He's trying to build a network of Navidroids, linking their processors together to use the data we have so far about the original disaster and all the emergencies. It's not a sure thing. The problem seems to be getting enough droids to run the calculations. Marlowe and Velas exchanged a quick glance. Information passed between them. Some unseen communication even Avar couldn't detect. We can probably help with that, Bellis said. We have a proprietary set of algorithms we use to model likely hyperspace routes. If your analyst on Hetzal is interested, we can send a few of our navulators, um, hyperlane specialists, to help him refine his system. Generally, we like to keep our trade secrets confidential, Marlow added. But there are lives on the line. Thank you very much, Avar said. That's generous. 
We'll put you in touch with the analyst. His name is Kaven Tarr. I'm sure he'll take any help he can get. That's not really why we're here, though, Elzar said. Oh, Marlowe said, raising a thin eyebrow. It's not just about stopping the emergencies. We want to make sure nothing like the Legacy Run ever happens again. And in order to do that, we need to know what caused it. Your family knows more about hyperspace than anyone. Or so Senator Nolar tells us. Do you have any theories? Well, we've read the Hollownet reports, but they are a little light on details. Do you have any additional information? Elzar reached into his tunic and produced a data chip, which he handed to Velis. That's everything we have so far. The Republic Transport Bureau's personnel have analyzed the wreckage, and based on the wear patterns, it looks very much like the Legacy Run disintegrated in transit. A collision? Marlowe said. No, Avar said. It seems that the ship attempted to execute a maneuver that stressed its superstructure beyond its capabilities. I'm oversimplifying, but it seems to have ripped itself apart. Velis and Marlowe were silent for a moment. Velis set his glass down. Avar didn't think he'd even tasted his drink. I'm sure you both know this, but the nature of hyperspace means that there is never any reason to maneuver at all. It's empty. There's nothing to hit. Routes are precisely calculated to ensure collisions like this are impossible. We know that, Elzar said. Everyone knows that, but something happened out there, and people continue to die and suffer across the Outer Rim. Pretending it's impossible just wastes time. He pointed at the data chip Velis was still holding. We're examining a few possibilities. It's all on the chip. Our first thought was pilot error, but we looked into that. The captain of the Legacy Run was a woman named Hedda Cassett, ex-military, a decorated veteran. It's hard to imagine she would make a mistake that would result in the destruction of her ship. By all accounts, she was steady and focused. A mutiny? Marlowe asked. Why? Avar replied. It was a ship full of settlers. A routine run from the core to the Outer Rim territories. Nothing unusual or extremely valuable aboard. Strange things can happen psychologically when you're out in deep space, Marlowe said. We have stories from our family's history you wouldn't believe. Madness creeps in before you know it. Fair, Elzar said. But this was a straightforward run on a well-traveled route. RTB officials interviewed some of the survivors we rescued, and they didn't suggest anything along those lines. Mutiny's low on the list. Maybe the ship malfunctioned, Bellis ventured. Not impossible, but unlikely, Avar continued. The Legacy One was an old vessel, but we know from its maintenance records that Captain Cassett kept it in top condition, and it had a full overhaul two runs before the trip that killed it. Our working theory is that it encountered something in the hyperspace lane, and it tried to avoid running into it. Elzar broke in. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Impossible, Marlowe said. I just told you, hyperspace doesn't work that way. Avar caught a flicker of an impulse from Elzar. Not a word, not a message, but something she understood all the same. She had known Elzar Man for a very long time. They were younglings together, and Padawans, and that created a connection, a bond through the Force that meant sometimes they didn't have to use words to understand each other. But if Elzar had used words, she knew what she was sensing from him would mean he's lying. Elzar was better at sensing deception than she was. Now, when it came to her particular gift, a native understanding of the way the Force touched all life in the galaxy, she thought there might not be a more skilled Jedi in the Order than herself. Well, perhaps Master Yoda. But as far as understanding people, Elzar Mann was an expert. She didn't think he even needed to use the Force to do it. Avar suspected he was considering a use of the Force right then, however what most Jedi called the mind touch, and he called the mind trick. He found it a more honest way to describe what was actually being done. Elzar would lift two fingers in a subtle gesture and touch Marlowe Santeca's mind with the Force, and then Marlowe would do whatever Elzar said next. The mind touch was a tool of the light, Avar knew, but she preferred indirect approaches to such a focused intervention in another person's path. Elzar had his reservations as well, but viewed the technique as a way to open people to the truth, to provide clarity, to allow them to feel the will of the Force. To put it another way, he was a problem solver, and the mind touch certainly solved problems. Avar sent an impulse of her own across their link, one he would recognize immediately. Simple and straightforward. No. Elzar turned and looked at her, his face expressionless, but easy for her to read. His mouth quirked up into a quick little smile. Okay, you got me. And then he looked back at the Santecas. Are you absolutely certain a collision is impossible, Venice? Avar asked. Perhaps a derelict ship, or an asteroid. Surely there must be a way for an object to be left adrift in the hyperspace lanes. Velis shook his head. Hyperspace is not like real space. Once a ship or anything else enters it, there's no way to encounter anything. You're in a bubble of space-time that nothing else can interact with, because each lane is, as far as we can tell, its own distinct plane of existence. Avar knew she would remember those words every time she traveled in hyperspace for the rest of her life. A jump to light speed had become such a routine event, but each time it happened was a step away from everything familiar, a journey into a new universe, some new realm. 
The song of the force was beautiful, but sometimes its indescribable vastness left her feeling insignificant, despite all her focus, all her training. It could leave her reeling. Another impulse from Elzar, lying, and again from her, no. Be that as it may, Avar said, the legacy run died, along with many people aboard it, and millions have died since in the emergencies. Your family has spent more time studying hyperspace than anyone in the galaxy. Have you ever encountered anything like this? No, Marlowe said flatly, and this time there was no signal of falsehood from Elzar. So you don't think it's a problem with hyperspace, Elzar said. We look at your data, Bellis said, holding up the data chip. But as of now, it's hard to imagine something like that. I don't think you have to worry about another legacy run. Our guess, based on more than a century of experience out there in the lanes, this was a one-time event, Marlow finished. Avar stood up, and Elzar, masking his surprise, did the same. Thank you, she said. We can't tell you how much we appreciate your sending your people to help Kevin Tar and Hetzal. We're going to move on to our next appointment. But if we think of additional questions, can we reach out? Of course, Marlow said, standing as well. As we said, it's an honor and a privilege to assist the Jedi and the Republic with anything you might need. Final pleasantries were exchanged, and Avar and Elzar left the Santeca compound, heading for the long beam that had brought them to Naboo, waiting on a landing pad just outside the gates. They were hiding something, Elzar said. His tone was light, but she knew he was frustrated. A familiar emotion from him. He was always reaching, pushing. I'm sure they were, Elzar. They're business people. We don't know that what they held back is even relevant. The Santecas didn't seem malicious. The opposite, really. They're offering to share some of their most closely held secrets to help save lives. Elzar was silent, but she felt a grudging acceptance from him. Let's continue our investigation. See if there's more we can learn. If need be, we can return and question them again. We made progress here. Be pleased. The drink was good, at least, Elzar said, and walked ahead toward the waiting longbeam. The breeze blew across the lanai, and Marlow and Bella's Santeca sat in silence, looking out across the lake at the Isle of Verichino, where strange geniuses toiled in isolation, creating art that, more likely than not, would never be seen by anyone beyond the shores of the little island. You know who this sounds like, don't you? Bellis said. He lifted his wine glass, tapped his fingernail against its rim a few times, then set it back down on the court's table. It's not possible, Marlow answered. She can't still be alive. She'd be beyond angels. I hope so, Vela said. For 
her sake, by all the gods. The sun sparkled off wavelets on the lake, and both men thought about the history of their clan, and where their great wealth had truly come from, and the great tragedy at its heart. I hope so. Hyperspace. The gaze electric. Marcion Rose flagship traveled through hyperspace, but in a way no other ship in the galaxy could. Its course was not set, moving from one access zone to another through a well-defined hyperspace lane. No, the gaze electric didn't move. It maneuvered. The massive ship plunged and rose, making impossibly tight turns, diving into tiny offshoots of the main road, and finding itself in an entirely new Earth-space. It followed routes that could not be seen and could not be repeated. Its path was charted by Mari Santeca, and Marcion Rowe let her have her head. She had complete control over the ship's navigation systems, and if the ride got a little bumpy sometimes, even terrifying, so what? These rides made Mari feel happy and good. They let her test her theories, work out new ideas. Piloting the gaze electric calmed her down, made her feel like she was in a good place, so that when Marcion asked her for specific paths, she was able to provide them without exhausting herself or getting frustrated. He looked through a viewport at the strange, unreal landscapes through which she was taking the ship. Like flying through a snowstorm made of flowers, built of bright green light. Beautiful and horrifying all at once. Traveling through hyperspace under ordinary circumstances was an entirely different experience. You entered the lane, you flew through the unchanging, swirling nothing for some set period, and then you exited back to real space. But Mari's flight was like that of a fast-winged insect, zipping from blossom to blossom, changing direction without bowing to considerations of inertia, acceleration or deceleration. These abilities came at a cost both in wear and tear and fuel, though the Gaze Electric was specially equipped to handle them via a PATH engine of unique design. The very first, in fact, similar in appearance to those on all the other Nihil ships, but greatly enhanced in capabilities. The engines allowed the Nihil to translate the paths into actual navigational data that would be rejected by any conventional system as being impossible. They were the key to everything, now and in the future. Marcion had owned the huge vessel for a very long time, and his father before him, both of them haunting its empty spaces designed for thousands, now through time and treachery, inhabited by only a few. The Rose father and son, had no homeworld. They left it behind long ago. The ship was as close as Marcion got, just as Mari Santeca was the nearest thing to family he had left. Marcion Rowe peered in at Mari, 
who lay in a sealed oblong pod with a clear front panel. Wires ran from it to power sources in the deck, and large tanks of various medical chemicals bubbled nearby, their contents dripping into tubes running into the pod. The machine was essentially one large medical capsule, designed to keep Mari as healthy and comfortable as could be managed for a human who had been alive for well over a century. Mari had dialed into the particular focus she found while doing these runs, her eyes flickering, charting routes through the swirl of hyperspace that her mind was uniquely capable of seeing. No other being seemed able to do it, and no Navidroid came close. Droid brains could chart routes along already established paths, but what Mari did was nothing like that. Mari found the roads between the roads, via some mix of instinct and unconscious mathematical analysis that operated on a level she couldn't explain. Martian had asked her, of course, many times, as had his father and his grandmother. If Mari Santeca's gift could be replicated, then there truly was no limit to what could be accomplished. Mari had tried, but it was like explaining why there were always more stars the farther you traveled, the deeper you looked. Some things just were, and could not be explained, or duplicated. When Mari Santeca died, and that day could not be far off, Despite the best medical technology in the galaxy being applied to extending her lifespan, the paths would die with her. And at that point, the thing that made the Nihil more than just another marauder gang carving out territory in the Outer Rim would vanish. Marcion pressed a control on the exterior of Mari's medical pod and spoke. Can you bring us back, Mari? Marcion Rose said. The old woman ignored him, and the gaze leapt again. Marcion braced himself against the shock without thinking. Some people could barely keep their feet when Mari Santeca took the ship on one of her little voyages, but he had been experiencing it since he was a child. Mari, he said again. No response. Hyperspace swirled outside the viewports, and Mari's eyes tracked it seeing paths visible only to her. Marcian Rowe frowned. He pressed another control on the medical pod's console, and Mari's entire body tensed as a mild electric shock coursed through it. He wished she weren't making him do it. The woman was not robust, and he didn't know how many jolts she could take. Her doctor, a rotund Chadra fan named Uttersond, had once described Mari Santeca's heart as a paper lantern. But he didn't have time for her to be lost in her mind. He had plans and questions, and the Nihil needed paths, and the paths came from Martian Row, but truly from this old woman, to whom he had tied his entire future. This woman he kept alive and pampered, and she just wanted to fly his ship halfway across the galaxy, instead of just... He pressed the button again, and Mari's body went rigid, giving him... Again! 
Let's see. Again! Need it. Mari Senteca collapsed back against the cradle in her medical pod, and then her body trembled and shook. Her mouth gaped open, spittle shining at its corners, and her eyes rolled back in her head. An alarm began to sound, a low, insistent beep, but she knew would summon Dr. Uttersand. Marcian Rowe tapped another control, and the alarm ceased. He leaned over the medical pod, watching Mari Santeca endure her seizure. The pod went through its emergency procedures. Needles extended on actuator arms from its sides and slipped into the protruding veins on the woman's stick-thin arms as flat metal paddles slid beneath her robes to stimulate her heart. Maybe this is the end, he thought. Everything I've done... All those years of planning, it could be over, right here, today. The idea had a perverse appeal. Fascinated, he watched Mari Santeca's trembling, tiny body, wondering if his life was about to embark on, well, an entirely new path. His finger hovered over the alarm for Uttersand. And he didn't know what the idiot doctor could do, but perhaps something. And was pressing it even as Mari Santeca coughed. A sharp barking sound. And her seizures ended. Her eyes opened, and she looked around her in wonderment. They locked on Marcion, and she smiled. Broad and kind, and open as a child. My Marcion, hello. Did I lose myself again? I'm sorry. You know how I get when I take us traveling. There's just so much to see, you know. Her index finger twitched on the control panel beneath her hand, and Martian felt the gaze drop from hyperspace. It's all right, Mari. Everything is just fine. Mari swiveled the medical pod, taking it vertical, so instead of looking up at him, she could stare him right in the eye. Her mind was clouded by age, but her gaze was not. Her eyes were clear and focused, and she never seemed perturbed in the least by his own black orbs. Well, that was a good one in any case. Found a new path between the sun and Erver. Should reduce travel time by a third, maybe more. It'll make you a bundle. Mari Santeca had been a hyperspace prospector since she was six years old. Something had happened to her as she traveled out in the interstellar wilderness with her family. And it had changed her. Changed her mind. Opened her up so she could see things no one else could. The paths. For some years, she had used that ability on behalf of her people, and brought them wealth and renown. But that fame brought with it a price. Marcian Rowe's own family had taken Mari Santeca, stolen her. No reason to call it anything other than what it was. They had used her skill to find things they believed they needed back then, and then they had just kept her 
told her whatever stories were required to keep her happy and working, handed her down from generation to generation, until eventually she took up residence on the Gaze Electric. Mari Santeca seemed to believe she was still working as a prospector. Sometimes she thought Marcian Rowe was her father, or his, or his grandmother. Sometimes her son, sometimes her jailer, sometimes her business partner. Her sense of time had gotten muddled over the decades, though her skill at finding new hyperlanes had not diminished, and not just the paths Marcian requested for the Nihil raids. Mari had charted new, secret routes all over the galaxy, from the deep core to wild space. She seemed to think Martian Rowe was selling them to the Republic, or whatever form of government she thought was currently running the galaxy. That belief was consistent no matter what identity she assigned to him. In fact, Martian didn't use Mari's new routes at all. He stored them on the Gaze Electric's central database. There could be a time when they would be valuable to him, but many things had to fall into place before that day could come. Still, it kept Mari Santeca happy to believe she was making herself useful. And when she was happy, it was easier to get her to do what he actually needed. Thank you so much, Mari. Marcian said. You can input them to the computer, and we'll reach out to buyers right away. You're fantastic. Mari smiled, suddenly shy. She was so good, so ignorant. Marcian hated how much he needed her. How are things going with your work, Marcian? That... A big fancy plan of yours. Are you making progress? Marcian had told this woman things. Things he had told no other living being. He told himself it was because he needed her expertise, and not because he had no one else to tell. He considered her question. The paths, and Mari herself, were his legacy, passed down to him from his father. Asgar Roe hadn't created the Nihil, nor had he ever ruled them. Neither did Martian. Both served as the Eye, which sounded impressive. But in truth, the Eye just provided a unique service. The paths, for which the Nihil's true bosses, the Tempest Runners, paid extremely well. Asgar Roe did not bring the paths to the Nihil just for the credits it would give him, though. He had a goal in mind. Redemption and revenge for his family and many others. He had not lived to see it come to fruition and had passed the task to his son. Completing that work would require transformation. The Nihil would need to become something entirely different than the selfish, ravaging, disorganized band of criminals they currently were. Until very recently, Marcian Rowe had not been able to see any way to get it done. But now, he had no choice. For centuries, the Republic had largely left the Outer Rim to govern itself. But now things were changing. They were building a huge station, 
the Starlight Beacon. And what they called galactic outreach, he called force projection. The Nihil had to evolve. Now, before it was too late, and the Republic brought their law and order and control to the Outer Rim. And, of course, the Jedi couldn't forget about them. My plan is ongoing, he said, answering Mari's question. Some stumbling blocks along the way, and the next steps will require some serious subtlety. It's a dangerous time for me in some ways. Actually, I was hoping you might help me with something. Mari lifted a frail hand, and her smile faded. Oh, you want some paths? Oh, do I have to? I just did so much work finding that new route. It wore me out. It surely did. Can I do it later, after a nap? Shut her, Martian thought. Shook her again and again until she burns inside that blasted pod. No, Marcion said. It's just a question. I just wanted you to think about something. The chef made your favorite for dinner. We can have it brought in, if that helps. Mari sighed. Oh, all right, Marcion. If you really need it. You know, your father never worked me as hard as you do. I miss him. Marcion Rose's finger twitched toward the button that would trigger another shock to the medical pod. His father was dead. Marcion did not and would not walk that man's path. Mari, Santeca, and the Tempest Runners could make as many little jabs as they wanted. Suggest he could never measure up. It didn't matter. His father was dead. He took a deep breath and clenched his gloved hand into a fist. Thank you, Mari, Marcion said. Here's what I'd like you to do. He pulled a data chip from his belt and plugged it into a reader on Mari's medical pod. Information displayed on the inside of the canopy in bright blue, rapidly scrolling lines of data that described the last moments of what was once the doomed legacy run, as if scattered through the Hetzal system. Mari Santeca's eyes sharpened, scanning the information, missing nothing. Oh dear, she said. That poor ship. What a tragedy. Hmm, said Marcian Rowe. It didn't stop here, either. Pieces of that ship have been popping out of hyperspace all over the outer rim. They're calling them emergencies. There's one part in particular. A section of the bridge that contains the ship's flight recorder. The Republic is looking for it, because they think it will tell them things they want to know about what happened to the Legacy Run. Yes, I see, Mari said, still tracking the data as it rolled along her medical pod's canopy. 
They're trying to build a huge sort of machine. Lots of navigational droids linked together. And they hope they can use it to predict where the missing pieces of the Legacy Run will show up. I just want to know if that's possible. Can something like that actually be done? Mari did not hesitate. She laughed. A surprisingly rich sound. Marcion had no idea where it came from. Her chest looked like you could collapse the whole apparatus with the flick of a finger. <laughs> of course, you silly. I could do it for you right now. I can tell you where every last piece of this ship will show up. It won't take long at all. Just... Oh, I'm very tired. Marcion froze. Everything was clear. In that single moment, every step he would need to take was revealed to him. There were options, branching routes. He would have to make choices, improvise, but it was all one path. And it led to what he'd been looking for all his life. His comlink chimed, and he lifted it from his belt. Yes, Marcion said. He had another seizure! came Dr. Utterson's squeaky voice through the comlink. I saw it on my monitors! The Chadrafan's voice was exceedingly irritating. Even when he wasn't affecting the scolding tone he was currently using. She's fine, Marcion said. No, sir. Respectfully, she's not. She needs to rest. No more prospecting. No more guns. Nothing for at least a week. She is frail and needs to rebuild her strength. Thank you, Doctor. Understood. Do you, sir? Because sometimes I wonder. I think... Marcion ended the transmission. He watched Mari Santeca. The innocent smile on her face as she watched pieces of the legacy run kill and destroy throughout Hetzal. I would appreciate your help very much, Mari, he said. I need to go do a few things, but I'll be back later. Can you get started right away? I'll have the chef bring you your dinner. You can work while you eat. The old woman didn't answer. She waved a hand vaguely, her medical pod slowly rotating back to a horizontal position. She was going deep again, her mind flickering along swirling roads only she understood as she began to work the problem. Marcian Rowe left Mari's chamber, heading for the ship's bridge. The gaze was almost entirely crewed by droids and hired personnel from outside the Nihil. He couldn't trust the clouds and storms, and certainly not the strikes. Not any one of them. Not even the Tempest Runners were allowed aboard his ship. None knew where the paths came from. But if they ever found out, well, anyone could keep a medical pod running. When he arrived on the bridge, a beautiful chamber, carved entirely from the trunk of a single huge rosher tree, imported from Kashyyyk, and shaped by artisans at breathtaking expense. Marcion moved to his captain's chair without a word to his deck crew. 
he tapped the button that raised privacy screens around the seat, all of which doubled as comm displays. Another button, and Kasev, Pan Eta, and Lorna D appeared on the displays. Let me guess. You're scared of the big bad Jedi, and you don't want to give us any parts, Kasev said. As ever, the first to speak, and the last to shut up. Pan Eta and Lorna D remained silent. I'm not afraid of the Jedi, Kasev. However, because I am not an idiot, I take them seriously as a threat. They could destroy everything we've built. Kossif looked like he was about to say something else, so Martian just kept talking, not giving him the chance. I know you've all been frustrated that we've been lying low, he said. No raids. Well, you know that new initiative I mentioned? It's on. We're going to change things up. I'm going to get the three of you a list of the emergencies. The ones that haven't happened yet. Go over them. See what opportunities you can find for us. Only catches, no paths. You'll have to plan your operations without them. Just standard tactics and techniques. Lorna and Pam said nothing. But he could see them calculating, thinking, trying to decide how much this would help or hurt them, what sort of game he was playing, how they could benefit or change his mind, or whether it was finally the time to actively embark upon the plans he was sure both had to murder him, steal everything he had, and take the paths for their own. For once, Kasov didn't speak right away. He probably was thinking the same things as the other two. I'm actually impressed, Kossip finally said. This is pretty good, but since we'll be doing the jobs ourselves, and you aren't actually giving us any parts, the split should be different. I say the eye doesn't get the third release. How about ten percent? That seems fair. Marcion gave him a smile that was not a smile at all. Here's what I can do, Kasiv. If you don't want the emergencies, I can give them to Pan Eta and Lorna D. Or none of you. Your choice. But if you take the ice information, you pay for it like you usually do. Or no more paths, ever. Returns get divided up like usual. The rule of three applies. Kasev didn't like this. Martian didn't care. The Republic is trying to figure out where the emergencies will happen to, and they'll be there right away after they happen. So use your best people, he said. You'll want to get in and get out. Maybe you find a disaster site and loot it. Maybe you ransom off the information about where an emergence will happen. But do it anonymously, with the funds going to our dark accounts. My point is, be subtle. If the Republic figures out that someone knows where the emergences are happening, it could lead them right back to us. We don't need that kind of heat. He leaned forward. 
that all makes sense? The Tempest Runners nodded, and Marcion Rowe cut the connection. He thought for a moment. It was all so clear now. So clear. He pressed a control on the armrest of his captain's chair. Get the old lady her dinner, he said. I am speechless. Part 7 just hurled us through the universe of the High Republic. My excitement is soaring to new heights. This electrifying part of the spacefaring adventure, well, was just amazing. Because this ride just left me breathless. With each new installment, this story unveils more unexpected twists and mind-blowing mysteries, making this cosmic saga a true edge-of-your-seat experience. But now it is time for the epic quote of this episode. Hold on to your cosmic helmets, because we're about to unveil a quote that will get you running. Shannon L. Alder said, Life always begins with one step outside of your comfort zone. Let me explain what this means and how you can use it in real life. Picture your comfort zone like a cozy little room where everything feels safe and easy. You know, like chilling on your couch with your favorite snack and TV show. It's comfy, but nothing new ever happens there. Now imagine stepping out of that room. The first step outside is what this quote is talking about. It is like trying something new or different, something that makes you a bit nervous or unsure. Maybe it's talking to someone new, learning a new skill, or applying for a job that feels a bit out of your league. Why do this? Well, when you step outside of your comfort zone, that's where the magic happens. That's where you learn new things, meet new people, and experience life in a new way that you never would have if you stayed in that cozy room. Sure, it can feel scary and uncomfortable at first, but that's how you grow and get stronger. How can you apply this to real life? It could be as simple as saying hi to a neighbor, or as as big as a move to a new city for a job. Each time you do something that feels a bit scary or challenging, you're taking that step outside of your comfort zone. So next time you are feeling a bit nervous about trying something new, just remember that's all a part of stepping out of your cozy room. It's about taking that first step into a bigger, more exciting world. And trust me, that's where all the great stories of your life will begin. You got this. That's a wrap for this episode. I hope you had a blast diving into part seven of Light of the Jedi, and I hope you will join me for part eight, which is coming your way in just a few rotations of the moon. So until then, may the force be with you. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archives. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel and was distributed by Swaycast Networks. The High Republic Light of the Jedi was read to you by Jason Odega. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs>